Welcome to Itch. My name's Luke. I'm 32 years old and I'm from Australia. I've spent my life with an insatiable curiosity, an itch, if you will, and a need to understand more. There is a clear desire for so many of us, irrelevant of background, ethnicity, or sexuality, to live more authentically and to seek out an alternative narrative to that which currently exists. I use my stories to take you on a journey where I've challenged my own truths through the ability to ask more questions than I have answers, maintaining a great sense of humor, always viewing the world through a lens of empathy, but most importantly, to live in the gray. These attributes have assisted me to seek out different perspectives and to create a life that is more flourishing and progressive for me and, well, hopefully for those around me. So if you're interested to know more, welcome to Itch. So my life lesson number one is that we are all the same. Not overly profound, I'm sure, for many people, right? Uh, And it's one of these things that I I think when I look back at, at... my life, which is still only a short life, you know, I'm only 32 years of age, it's not like I'm sitting here pondering on the years that have passed me by, but rather if I'm looking at different lessons that have shaped me in life, it would be that we are ultimately all the same, and I've had multiple lessons along the way that have taught me this, but the one that is profound to me, when I was 21 years of age, and I had decided that I'd had enough of going to work every day and doing the same old thing over and again. Can you believe it? 21, already I was over it. Uh, I was working at the time as a travel agent. I had, I was, I was chasing something. I had this itch, right? And there was this constant battle between kind of like, I'm going to call it the ego and the soul. It was like trying to figure out what do I want to do? I was working in private banking and then I was, no, I don't know what I want to do. So I started studying social work and then I realized I don't want to do that either. And so then I like came back to just doing, you know, my full-time job. And then I just left it and went to do travel because I just wanted to enjoy my job. I just wanted to get joy out of the work I do. But even then it wasn't enough. There's still this desire for more. So I decided um, one Sunday as I was at home, probably burning some incense and sitting in my room on a Sunday afternoon, trying to be all, you know, spiritual was that I actually needed something. And I, I, I was craving something in my heart. I was craving something in my soul. So I jumped online, Google, Google search at the time, I'm pretty sure we had it, and, um, and came across an organization called World Youth International, and they're a not-for-profit, non-religious, non-government organization that basically do development work in Asia and Africa. Awesome. I'm going to go and give back. That's what I want to do. Up until this point, I'd done um, a number of different volunteer opportunities. I'd worked for um, the Royal Children's Hospital uh, in their Wonder Factory there, um, and then thought, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to get hands-on, you know. And I was so hands-on that even when I was looking at different jobs to have, I wanted to go and mow lawns. Like, I mean, that's how much I wanted to get my hands dirty, but I didn't know why I wanted to get my hands dirty. So I um, decided it was six months away, signed up, got accepted, had to raise money, had to save money, had to just go on this huge kind of shutdown, like get as much cash together as I can to be part of the uh, the program, but also to support myself. It was a four-month program in Nepal um, and it was only six months away. And, I, and at that point, I was like, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to move out of the house that I'm in, like proper, like who knows what will happen when I get to the other side. Just didn't have any money or anywhere to live, but that's fine. It was who knows what happens when I get to the other side. So I... Um, so I did that and, uh, and then ended up in Nepal and it was an incredible opportunity. Um, and, and this is, you know, it was this real lesson around 
getting there and being aware of what your own internal biases are and, and how you kind of perceive the world. And the program itself was you go in, you you pay a certain amount of money to be there. You raise money to do these projects and the projects were building a school and, and building a library and whatnot in a couple of different rural villages. Um, and then we um, go out and we stay. We do homestays in the villages and, and stay with family out there, which is amazing. Um, so when I was on my flight, you know, jetting into, into Nepal, I didn't know what to expect. I'd just come from the desert where it's opulence basically and we'd had a wonderful time there um, and when I landed in Nepal it was uh, you know you, you land into a very short runway uh, in the middle of a built-up city that still looks quite it's not rural but it's obviously you know it's still a developing country so um, it definitely doesn't look like a normal city that you see before but you've got these as you're flying in you've got the Himalayas that are that are in the background it's just beautiful but as you land into Kathmandu it's a fair bit of smog there that that exists in the valley um so I remember coming out into the airport chaos just kind of no order to things I kind of didn't know where I was what I was doing uh we'd pre-arranged from memory for the visa to be to be done but even then the lineup was really long um I love the Nepalese people but they um uh, it's it's not the same sort of order that we have here. So, you know, you'll be waiting in line and then they'll decide that now's time to have a little chai, like a little, uh, you know, their, their tea. When I look back on it um, from different countries that I travel around to and, and specifically to India, which is obviously right below it and, and connected and, and a very similar kind of culture, there's an underlying energy that's different between the two countries. Um, for me... I love Nepal because even though it's the chaos and the disorder that exists, there's an underlying level of calm. So arrived there, got picked up, uh, hopped into a car, start driving through the city, which has kind of dirt roads and potholes and cows still walking around and, you know, just chaos. Um, and, and at that time, I hadn't done a great deal of travel through countries like this. So it was the senses were certainly overwhelming when I was there. Um, I remember getting in, meeting, you know, meeting the um, other kind of team members in the group. And then we're staying at the um, was it the Holiday Inn Mustang Hotel, which by the way, is not a Holiday Inn. They've just obviously taken the name and enjoyed it. And I remember sitting there and, and, and it was quite a it's quite overwhelming and, it, you, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a deep thinker. So I was, you know, I was, I was having moments of reflection. I'd kind of go sit up on the roof and do a lot of writing and just kind of look over this city that was just something so unknown but yet felt quite familiar, um, which I'm a bit of a believer that, you know, some things feel really familiar when you just know that you've got a contract with it or you're going to be there multiple times it's almost like your future self is kind of calling back to you to be like yeah 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 you know this place you know this place it's all good anyway I remember sitting there and, and so you know this story really falls around that space of we're all the same and and it was pulling up a lot of these thoughts and feelings inside of me around what were our expectations leading into these villages you know what were we here to really do and I really didn't want to walk in there with this you know and, and I'll just say how I feel about it right so I didn't want to walk in there with this kind of white privilege to kind of be like we're here to save the day because we're going to be building things and you know you, you're welcome we're here but rather really getting people to um 
to be able to come in and I guess just acknowledge that it's it's going to be a, a, an interesting time for both sides of us and that we're actually here to learn from one another and so I got on you know we sit there as a group and I was only new to it but I gave this big spiel to everyone which was a surprise to my team leader but she liked it as well I just want to remind all of us that when we go in there tomorrow to remember that as much as we're here because we come from a space where we have you know where, where we have access to resource and we're blessed because of that you know we won the life lottery in in that way we're equally coming to exchange those for some of the incredible things that they're going to teach us in return and we have to go in with a level of humility have a good level of compassion i was 21 years of age you know so it's kind of like you think you do but you probably don't you're probably still completely selfish but i remember being overwhelmed with this sense of like we have to go in there with humility we can't go in there and think of ourselves any differently that that defeats the entire purpose of what we're here to do the first village was not too far out of Kathmandu valley and actually my family had that i was staying with so it was homestay and my family had um, got there again, a really traditional house, two-story. As you first come in, um, again, it's the same as the traditional house in the last village where it had um, kind of that, that hard clay floor, I'll call it. I don't want to call it a mud floor because it seems a bit weird, but a hard clay floor. That main area downstairs where um, would be where you'd kind of sit around. They had one half of the room where they'd bring in like like your rice bags and whatnot. So one area was kind of like, we'll call it the lounge, but it was just full of stuff. And on the other side is the kitchen. And that's where mom would cook and you'd kind of have your, your two, two, three meals a day out of. And then through a little door in the other part of the building was where the cow was. Um, uh, although they had a bull. Yeah, because it was always really salty. So, so the team leader, Liz and I became really close. She would come up to... Um, to my house to have you know we'd go for a walk come back and we have chia in the morning so they have tea and it was just there was this ongoing joke that theirs was quite salty so we'd go down to her family afterwards to have a milk tea from from the cow because it was much nicer shame mum she made it with love though so it was lovely it's just a bit too salty <clears throat> um so you get in there so that was just one floor and then it had uh, a ladder, a wooden ladder, and then you'd get to the second level and that's where the bedrooms were. And so mum and dad had their bedroom and then there was another bedroom for the kids. So it was mum, dad, three kids. Um, and at this point, me and another guy, Joe, were moving into their house. So they all slept in one room and we slept in another room. And so that was at the top. And then at the other end, it was where all the hay was. Uh, no running water, uh, a toilet outside that was just a long drop, basically, um and electricity was like maybe one light downstairs one or two lights upstairs and a tv that they'd put on every now and again and a radio that would play so loud at 5 30 every morning because they're obviously all up so heaven forbid if you ever thought you're going to sleep past 5 30 so i would get up every morning and go for a walk and if ever i didn't want to go for a walk mum would come upstairs and kind of be like what are you doing it's walk time get up like what are you doing about like, if i was to think back to those moments there i think the most nostalgic is kind of the smell of the place when i was there you, you know upstairs i don't know it didn't really smell like anything downstairs it was always that fire smell because i'd cook inside um at nighttime uh mom would make you know dalbat which is their you know um kind of staple diet that you'd eat which is just rice and dal and some type of vegetable um every now and again we'd have meat crazy but that would obviously have to come from somewhere so there was one goat that i really loved tina i think she was there by the end of it but i don't think one of her friends was because one night midway through they were like we're having goat i was like oh no where's tina where's tina I was like, I was like, 
so we were there. We're there for about a month and a bit. Incredible time, far more authentic than the previous one. But at the time that we were there, we also hired locals to, um, you know, local Nepalese people to come and work with us on the side. So now introducing um, a gentleman by the name of Danny. And so Danny had been there for for a few years. He was 25 years old, um, really nice guy. Everyone loved Danny, um, just, just a lovely man. He just had a, a wonderful smile and a really lovely nature about him. He'd been learning some English, so he knew a bit of that. And just on the work site, he was just a lot of fun. Um, and I just connected with him and just, you know, we, we'd kind of chat and we'd all have a lot of banter along the way. Um, I guess my most profound lesson, and this is where I was leading to with this, in terms of we are all the same, is through establishing a relationship with this guy, we, you know, get to know each other, just start chatting, telling stories and whatnot. I was intrigued by him. So one time we were back in Kathmandu, I said to him, do you want to go and grab a tea? And I'd love to just chat with you and get to know you a little more. And so I got to know his story. So he's 25, lived in Kathmandu for the last uh, 10 years. He'd moved there when he was 15. Um, His story is that he was from the uh, Everest region. Um, He'd had quite a number of brothers and sisters, but a number of them had passed away because it's quite a a difficult life up there. Um, He went to school but finished in grade three because they couldn't afford for him to keep going. And so he was just working on the land, which is not uncommon in places like this. He then at the age of 15 decided that he needed to go and and make money and make a living um, and so moved to Kathmandu on his own. So you can imagine right now if you had a 15-year-old move to the city on their own and kind of just the challenges that surely would come with that. Um, and it, it kind of... It was unsettling as someone who was 21 to hear, oh my God, at 15, what? Like you, mo- you moved on your own to this big old scary city that we started chatting away. He had a wife, he had a daughter, Serena, um, and he was telling me about them. He was really chuffed. He really loved his daughter. Like, you know, when he spoke about her, he just spoke so highly of her. And, um, and he put his daughter, Serena, into a private school. So she just started a kindergarten. He put her into to, to a private school and it was very expensive, but he... What he said to me was, I only got to go to school until grade three. And as such, I know now I can't necessarily go to school, but I want to make sure my daughter is educated. And I want to make sure she has a far better education than I ever had. So what I can do is I can earn money as best as I can to pay for this. It is expensive, but I just want her to be educated. So he had, you know, he was someone who didn't have the opportunities himself Um, most people would look and then say, you know, if you're uneducated, you must be stupid and this and that and the other. I'm sure there's a ton of prejudice that comes with the assumptions of people who haven't necessarily gone through a formal education. But instead, he had this inherent value system that I really connected with. And here was a man who was only a couple of years older than me, who for me, being 21, you know, kind of bright-eyed and looking at the world and wanting to kind of fight for social justice everywhere I went, was sat with another individual who I was like, holy crap, like this is a big story like and and you're sat here and you're so well put together and you're just giving it your best every single day um and you have this beautiful daughter and and you can't even really afford to send her to school but you're gonna do it anyway and i don't know what would have happened if he got to a point where he couldn't afford it but he didn't even think about that you know the value overrode any of the the logic that needs to go with it so i took this went away kind of stewed on it and i was quite um moved by the whole thing and um I remember we got to the end of our trip and we we're back in the village and I'd been chatting with Liz who, and I said to her about like, how does it work? What can I do? Like, I just want to do something. Like, 
So she said, do you know what? Just ask him. And I was like, okay, great. So caught up again in the village, sat down. I was really awkward about it. I was thinking, oh my God, like this guy's going to just... And I'm making all these assumptions of what what he's going to think of me as a result of asking it. And again, I'm making these assumptions based on all of my cultural backgrounds and where I come from. It has nothing... Like this guy has a... His story's so different. Okay, we make... Uh, you know, we've made a connection based on values. Uh, I went and sat with him and I said, look, I, I, I don't know, you know... I, your story really affected me and I think it's really incredible and, and talked him up and gave him, you know, a whole heap of kind words about around how I kind of led to this space and said, because I have the ability to um, take on a financial burden like that, can I please do that for your daughter? Can I please just pay for her school? I'll pay for it to whenever, but can I just do that? And he just sat there quietly and I went, Oh God. And then he just smiled and he went, yeah, That'd be amazing. And I was like, oh, okay, great. Well, you know, and he's like, no, I'm happy to send you things as well. And I was like, okay, no, I don't really want that. I just, okay. And I was like 21 and, you know, you don't really know what you're doing. I got to the end of that and I kind of built this connection. I had this moment, had this little moment of courage, I guess, as well. And I just kind of went, I want to be able to take that on. And so since then, I have um, continued to pay for her. She's in grade 10 now think grade 10 moving to grade 11 which is awesome um and and we've maintained a friendship from there as well and i think a lot of these examples and a lot of these experiences along the way just continue to help me shape and form the belief and that lesson that we are all the same you know i've mentioned it already where his story and his experiences and what he had access to if we were to make it by a logical reasoning, you know, in terms of this equals this, and how has it ended up that me and what I've gone through and we both sat there together have got the exact same value in terms of this belief in education and wanting to do, like, it was just, again, it doesn't seem profound now necessarily, but at the time I was really blown away and I guess it tied into um, a lot of these other examples in terms of the caste system, in terms of this belief that we, you know, any differences that we come across is just because we're placing a value on the material realities that surround it. You know, I could have placed a value on, on who he was and what his caste was and, you know, what developing country he was from. Like there's all these ugly things that are all just circumstantial of the human existence that we're in. But ultimately this wonderful man, this beautiful soul just was doing his absolute best with what he had and at the end of the day that's all I was trying to do and so we made this wonderful connection because ultimately we're all the same here I was sitting with a man who was the polarity of who I am 25 straight married Nepalese Hindu with at that point a 21 year old single gay agnostic Australian one living in poverty another in material abundance Many reasons to be opposite or deem our validity in this world to be of a different category. But rather than focus on such petty, material characteristics, we looked between those polarities and found what existed was a bond built on fundamental human connection and universal human values. For me, this is another example of the grey that I talk about. And this is why the lesson was so valid for me. So I invite you to think of yourself when you're dealing with that difficult person at work, that idiot in the car in front, that passionate and outspoken opposition. As difficult as they are or that situation may be, we need to remember that we are all the same. Those people 
who we feel an internal battle with or just see such sheer difference in our place or appearance or beliefs truly believe that what they are doing and what they stand for is as important as what you do. We're all fighting for our version of similar things. It's just that our reality or our makeup on the outside may look different. So again, I invite you to think on this today or even throughout the week and challenge yourself to take a step back and think the next time you're in this situation. If we really are all the same, how can I connect with this person on a different level? Or how can I just show more empathy to understand them better? Or how can I navigate this moment in a way that sits in the gray rather than believing there is a black and white answer here? I really did have the chance to go into this situation without any level of humility and to think that my position in this world was due to some form of superiority and that people should be just so grateful for what we bring. But instead, empathy and humility allowed me to build connection. And well, that's what we're all craving. Because again, we are all the same. I'm Luke Evans. Thanks for listening to Itch.